Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thanks for downloading. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, California, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And joining us, as always, dad extraordinaire from Nashville, Tennessee, it's the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, guys? I'm dad to the bone. Uh, the weather's finally breaking here in Nashville. I don't know, I can't speak for you, you guys out in other parts of the country, but it was 75 degrees here, sun was out, uh, rain cleared up about midday, so... Man, it's uh, springtime, which means spring football, which means we're inching closer to the fall again. And uh, I'm excited, man, and I'm excited to finally do a show. Excellent. Yeah, it's good to be back together. Um, But uh, we would not be back together if we did not have our man in the second city, someone who can see for miles and miles, who definitely will not be fooled again. It's our intrepid blogger, Josh Cook. Yeah, for those of you living under a rock, those are, of course, songs of the great band The Who. They were here in Chicago. I caught them Thursday. They played a two-hour concert, nonstop, no intermission, nothing. It was incredible, the best concert I've ever been to. Daltrey's had some health issues. It affected his voice on some recent stuff, but... Man, he, he sounded like he did on their albums in the 80s. He, he's not like he was in the 60s and 70s, but he was, he was pretty good. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I saw them, as you know, Josh, 14 years ago, which is kind of ridiculous, uh, a couple, just a couple weeks after um, John Entwistle, their late great bass player, uh, had died. So um, that was a very interesting concert as well. That was my, one, of my first, uh, w- one of my first big concert experiences. And, again, they put on a great show. So it's great to see that they're still touring, still doing well. Um, well, well, here's some music trivia for you. Uh, who is the current... No pun. Drummer of The Who right now. Uh, Ringo Starr's kid. Very good. How about that for some crazy connections? Yeah, no, he was torn with them when I saw them back in the day. So he's been with them for a while now. Yeah, Zach Starkey, he was pretty good. Yeah. How how about some super easy music trivia? This is the best I got, I guess. Um, (laughs) Dave Grohl, the lead singer of The Foo Fighters, was a drummer in what legendary band? Nirvana, come on now. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, now that we've passed through the music trivia portion <laughs> of the show, we're going to get to quick slants like we usually do. Um, and so, Josh, I'm going to throw it off to you first. Yeah, my quick slant is uh, a very beneficial three-way divorce. Uh, the Sunbelt Conference has decided not to continue on their partnership with Idaho and New Mexico Uh, This is going to be in the 2017 season. And I think this is good for all three players. First of all, Sunbelt athletic budgets weren't really enough to include two geographic outliers like Idaho and New Mexico. And Idaho, obviously, I've harped on. Their travel is just insane. And I think a really easy landing place, and I would highly suggest the Mountain West do this, is to – quickly take both teams. The Mountain West has 12 clubs right now, but there's been a lot of turmoil with Hawaii and their athletic budget. There's no guarantee that Hawaii is going to be a football program in the uh, FBS level for the foreseeable future. So if they do that, they'll guarantee that they'll still have two divisions. Geographically, it fits really well. From the Boise State perspective, some of those smaller sports like women's basketball, et cetera, to have a road trip be that cheap makes sense. It's the same thing with New Mexico, going down to New Mexico State. And then I know Idaho has struggled mightily in football, but it wasn't that long ago that they were in some bowl games, and they're not a complete train wreck And New Mexico State's basketball program is actually really good. And I know we're a football podcast, but since it was was Selection Sunday, uh, the Mountain West Basketball League has gotten a little bit better. And I think adding a solid program like New Mexico State could help it even more. So I think all around, 
all three parties are going to look back on this and think it's a good thing in about five to 10 years. Yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely, if it, if it pans out, like you're suggesting, I think that's definitely a win-win, you know, not just geographically, but I think uh, culturally with the schools as well. Um, Obviously, you know, uh, Idaho is going to have a lot more in common uh, with teams in the Mountain West than they are with some of the other squads that they were playing this year. So what do you think, Coach? I mean, it makes total sense. I mean, you, you look at athletic budgets, you look at travel, and I'm not talking football. I mean, football, you know, travel's kind of a, you know, you, you, your budgets are going to be, you know, you could travel anywhere just about. Uh, but for, like, the other sports, you know, you travel across the country on a Tuesday night you're playing women's basketball, you're playing golf or soccer. You look at some of the smaller sports that can't hardly survive. Those sports now start to die because you can't, you can't make the travel. So, I mean, it makes sense. And if the mountain West is going to jump on them, that would make even more sense. And uh, you brought up the cultural fit as well. I, I think that, you know, they have more in common with their mountain West opponents than they do their Southeastern Sunbelt opponents. Now, um, so I, I, I like the fit, and I, I like the fact that Sun Belt is doing something to be more geographically sound, um, something to increase their profits, which is what everybody aims to do. And uh, you know, maybe they can get a couple of those good, uh, you know, those good southeastern F- FCS schools that want to get promoted. You know, you open up a couple spots for them. Teams like James Madison or. Uh, you know, Kennesaw State, whenever, it, whenever they decide they want to try to move up, teams like that, maybe they can move into the Sun Belt in the, in the foreseeable future. Now those spots are going to be opened up for them. Definitely, definitely. Um, Josh, any last words? No, I think we, uh, we covered three institutions that we'd like to give a little bit of love to, but not too much love. I mean, let's be honest. You don't have, you don't have too many Sun Belt fans. No, I mean it's. It, I mean it's not the AAC. Let's let's be real. <laughs> no, I mean we're not sponsored by the Sun Belt. We're sponsored by the American Athletic Conference. Let's be uh, yes, absolutely. Um, so, uh, all right, Coach. Oh, uh, what's your slant? Well, um, this is more of like a quick screen. Like defenses, cornerbacks playing like ten yards back. We just run a run a, like a one-two turn around, face the quarterback type type deal. Not just. Uh, I just want to talk about Ohio State's pro day here for a second um, and just the kind of magnitude and the circus that it turned into because of all the prospects. You know, uh, we're going to be talking about Ohio State here later on in the show, uh, so I just want to kind of remain with the Buckeye theme here. Um, they had I, – I want to give them some props, and I know we don't give them too many props with you two Big Ten guys, but I have to give credit where credit's due. Uh, they had a nation-high 14 players invited to last month's NFL scouting combine, all right, their pro day had several general managers, including multiple head coaches, all right, they had 22 prospects on hand, um, seven of them projected in the first round, and I'm looking at tweets from Ben Axelrod, who I assume is one of their uh, director of uh, football operations person probably, uh, tweeted some pictures out, and they had to bring temporary bleachers out, I mean, it's a. You should go on uh, on Twitter and, and take a look at this. I mean, it's you know, there's people everywhere. I mean, it looks like a looks like a full on practice is going on, and it's just. I mean, it's it's a spectacle. I mean, I, I've never seen like I, I've been to some of the pro days when I worked at Georgia, and 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 it seemed like there was a lot of people, but you know, the weight room wasn't really that that big, and it just seemed like there was a lot more people than there actually were. Then they get out there on the field and they sit on that hill. And it looks like there's a lot more than there actually is. But this one, I mean, it, it it's pretty much like full up, and uh, I, I'm I'm kind of impressed by it. And and it's I mean it's ridiculous. But I mean, you, you run down their list of players. They they got some. They're going to send some guys to the league this year. Joey Bosa, Braxton Miller checked in with a 4.35 40 yard dash. Ezekiel Elliott didn't run, didn't do anything, but he's a first round prospect. Uh, Michael Thomas ran a 4.43 in the 40. Uh, a lot of people didn't run. Uh, Joey Bosa ran a four seven eight, had twenty eight reps on the bench press, which improved, which was improved. I think, I think he went up by five reps. I think from from his combine testing. So, um, I, I was just kind of impressed with the, with the turnout of 
of the pro scouts and head coaches and general managers. Usually you don't see a lot of head coaches there. Usually the, the team that's the closest, will, their head coach will come over. Like the Atlanta Falcons head coach would always come to Georgia's pro day, but usually it was just a bunch of scouts. And, uh, but this one is like all, like a lot of head coaches, a lot of general managers were there, things like that. So uh, I was just, I was just kind of impressed by that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's it's really interesting to see the differences between um, sort of what happens at the combine and what happens at a lot of these pro days. Because, I mean, at least speaking from sort of a Wisconsin perspective, you know, they had three guys invited to the combine, but then at their pro day, they had all their seniors plus a lot of. Uh, you know, prospective guys who went to some of the smaller UW programs, whether it's, um, you know, Platteville or, um, or lacrosse or wherever, you know, also there. So I think that's actually a really sort of nice little wrinkle when you get these, uh, you get these pro days and you see some of the other players that you wouldn't see otherwise from whether it's from, you know, uh, FCS schools or D2, D3 schools, you can kind of sort of start to see them sort of line up against uh, uh, more of the top tier guys. And I always think that's sort of, um, you know, a, a little fun to see. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one more quick little uh, quick screen here before I get out. Um, just wanted to throw something out there. I uh, saw this on Football Scoop. Um, if you get a chance, uh, look at the new Dallas – I know this is not college football, but uh, get a chance to look at the new Dallas Cowboys training facility. It is, it is what you probably imagine it would be, um, something that Jerry Jones would build. It has 12,000 seats inside the indoor practice facility. Um, it has a five-star hotel that's going to be attached. It has like a full-size field out front for like fans to participate on. It has, um, I think it has four full-length practice fields um, and then just like state-of-the-art meeting rooms. And, you know, they, I saw the blueprints of it on Football Scoop the it's other day. It's a lot of to go eight It really is. I mean, it's ridiculous. But they have the, the thing that impressed me the most was the twelve thousand seats inside the indoor facility. It's like, come on, man! Is <laughs> <laughs> really that many people coming to see your practice? Apparently, you go inside. I guess so. Apparently. I guess so. But I, I guess that's about it. I guess that's about the only way Jerry Jones could do it, right? Yeah, you know, Jerry, go big or go home. So, yeah. all right. Who's your favorite? Dallas Cowboy, Matt, of all time. My favorite Dallas Cowboy of all time got to be Leon Lett. Uh, see, I was setting you up for a great Walker, Texas Ranger joke. And you oh, just... well, I mean, Jimmy Trevette clearly <laughs> is, the, is the greatest <laughs> Cowboy to ever live. Uh, it's unfortunate his career was cut so short, but, you know, he, he really had a nice post-playing career for himself. Um, but, you know, he never, he never really, um, you know, he can never really get out of middle management in, <laughs> in the Rangers. He never really um, led up to being sort of head of the department. Like, you kind of expected that he would. Coach, were you a fan of Walker, Texas Ranger back in the day? Uh, to be honest, no, I really didn't get into it. Um, oh. Well, yeah. Well, I know, well, I know one co-host we can get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, see you guys. It's going to have to be with uh, with a spinning with a spinning roundhouse kick. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. And um, there will definitely be if we if we do shoot at him in his car, you know it will explode. <laughs> <laughs> there's a guarantee. There's a guarantee that his car will explode. You can hit the tire, and the whole thing will explode. But Josh, if we have his, um, uh, if he does give us his GPS coordinates, they might be in China. They, they might be. Yeah. So these this, are all. These are all like D tracks. This is, this um, is, this is like really inside baseball here. So, yeah. Um, for um, uh, Josh is. Uh, Josh uh, and myself and our college roommate, Zach, had a, a bit too much of an appreciation for Walker, Texas Ranger during our days in Madison. But um, that, that, yeah. that might have to be a retrospective on a different time. We'll have to get Zach into that. But, um, a special right, well, just for Walker, Texas Ranger? Um, yeah. Well, yeah, the, the Walker special could be, uh, could be something you guys look forward to in the summer. But, I mean, um, Chuck Norris turned 76 a few days ago, so we missed it. Oh. Well, you know, here's uh, here's to a belated birthday to you, Chuck. I'll uh, I'll, I'll definitely drink one down for you. So, um, but you know, 
um, anyhow, I'm going to get to my quick slant now. Um, and it's, uh, it's talking about transferring because, you know, this is sort of the season now that all the new coaches have been hired. Um, spring practices are about to start. So most uh, guys who are transferring out of programs into new programs are starting to, you know, put feelers out in the Put, put feelers out to see where they're going to go. But the Pac-12 actually just uh, just today has come out with a new policy that um, will uh, the Pac-12 schools will not allow uh, uh, student athletes to transfer in if they have um, if they have a, a history of misconduct. Basically, what the rule says is if that the if if the prospective transfer is not eligible to re-enroll at his at his or her current institution, they cannot come to a Pac-12 school. So basically, if you get booted out of school, you can't transfer to a Pac-12 school. Uh, you know, Coach and I were joking before the. Um, before the show about if this uh, if this rule happened in the SEC, then Auburn would never win a game. But um, you know, I think this is a really interesting sort of wrinkle to the transfer rules. Transfer transfer rules have always been something, Josh. I know that you and I have talked about a lot in the past, and sort of the hypocrisy with them, with uh, the fact that coaches can move around, but if student athletes transfer. Um, they have to sit out a year. Um, but then there's also sort of the other side of the coin is, well, you know, it, it, it doesn't, it's not, uh, doesn't really look very good for uh, certain people if they transfer out because they don't win the quarterback battle um, at that given institution or whatever. So I wanted to kind of uh, throw this out to you guys to, to see, A, what you think about the Pac-12's new rule, and B, um, what tweaks you would make to the current uh, transfer rules as they stand at the moment. So I guess I'll throw it to you first, Coach. Well, um, I love the the caveat of uh, the disciplinary action rules. Um, you know, it kind of keeps those guys. It, it's, it's basically the Pac-12's version of the Auburn rule because Auburn's notorious for taking everybody's misfits and uh, and bringing them in. And I don't think they would have had a national championship or been to the national championship the second time around had it not been for a couple of thieves that they uh, that they brought in, so um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing PR wise. I think it's a good thing uh, as far as building trust in your locker room, um, and, and I think it's going to be overall what college football needs to get to um, overall. Now, I I am a big proponent in second chances, but I just think that if you if you break the rules. If you break them enough to get dismissed from your current program, you shouldn't be allowed to go in conference. And nationally, you really shouldn't be allowed to go to any other Power 5 school. You should lose that privilege, um, and then you should be only eligible to go to a group of five. Or if you're a group of five, you have to go to FCS if you're going to if you're gonna transfer for disciplinary reasons. So, um, I, you know, that's kind of my my tweet to it that's kind of my addition or taking it one step further um just general transfer rules i think that there's certain things that you should be able to get out of if there's a coaching change um you should be able to um now you'd set it you would set a timeline on it um like probably right at, you know i don't know what the date what the timeline would be but you should there should be like a, a brief period to where if you want to leave after a coaching change, you can leave free of free of penalty um, and go anywhere you want. Um, I think, the, and but I think we should, it should be a really tight window, and it shouldn't be something that drags out. If you're going to make a decision, make a decision. I guess the counter to that, coach, is you know when when you sign your when you sign your scholarship, you're signed to a school, not to a coach. Yeah, and I, I think that you know I don't think a whole lot of people would take advantage of that. Uh, it wouldn't happen as frequently as it as, as I make it sound out to be, but um, you would probably I don't know you'd probably get one or two a year that would really uh, just transfer like that, um, you know, not have to sit out. But you know, I, I think overall though, I think the transfer rules are fair. I mean, I think if you you know it, it gives FCS chance FCS schools a chance to get some of the more talented players that you know you know, a, a very talented junior that's just not getting enough playing time at Washington state wants to go to Eastern Washington to play by all means, you know, well, yeah, let him go. And I love it. FCS right now, you don't have to sit out a year. I know. And I like that. I absolutely, I, I, I love like if you transfer down, you don't have to sit out. And I think it, I think it builds up those lower levels. Um, 
it makes those more uh, more exciting. So um, I like it. You know, I, I like most of the transfer rules. I think they're fair. I think I think adding a clause for transferring for disciplinary reasons, you know, that should that needs to be addressed and that needs to be controlled. But otherwise, I, I don't know. Like I, I would try to figure out something, some sort of caveat for for coaching changes and, and try to figure out like maybe there's like a two week window where, you know, you can, you know, you can transfer free of penalty or make it just like a one week window, something very short, something that you have to be very decisive about. Um, and then it just, you know, it goes away. It goes away. Josh. Well, I guess for this specific PAC 12 rule, I like it. I think it's a good step in the right direction. The problem that I have always had, and we've highlighted this before is coaches have different strictness levels to how they run their program. So player A and player B might do the exact same thing. That's for player A school, he gets suspended and then he wants to transfer and now he can't go to the Pac-12. Player B, nothing happens. And then he wants to transfer and since there's no record of him doing whatever he did, then he's open to go to the Pac-12. It's good for the Pac-12 to do that. It doesn't solve the issue that Every school is run different, and we all know what schools there are that their coaches are known for being very hands-off with discipline and Urban Meyer. Excuse me. Now, I I think just just to to quickly interject there, Josh, uh, getting kicked off the team and getting kicked out of school are two different things. I think this this policy is aimed at people – um, at, at student athletes who uh, get into trouble with the law more so than they do if they get in trouble with team rules or whatever. You know, someone can get kicked off the team but not kicked out of the university um, and be able to transfer. But if you're kicked out of the university, that's when um, it yeah. really comes into play. Well, it's the same thing with schools. I mean, look at Florida State. Have they ever had a player get kicked out of school? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> So yes. I, was trying, I was trying to think, but uh, I was thinking Lavernius Coles did, but I don't know. I can't by, by these rules, Jameis Winston could have transferred to Cal Berkeley. I don't know if he would have gotten in academically, but he could have. True. This is true. I don't know, but I just I think this is a really interesting point of discussion, especially as sort of the landscape of college uh, sports, especially obviously football and basketball, is changing significantly um, with the way that money is being allocated and revenue streams and whatnot. And I just you know transferring is becoming more and more commonplace, obviously. But I'm just I, I'm I'm curious as to what you guys think, and obviously to what our listeners think. So. If you have any que- if you uh, you know if you have any thoughts, please email please email in the show uh, illegalmotionpodcast at gmail um, And speaking of emails, we are hopefully going to be getting to a um, an email uh, you know mailbag sort of podcast uh, here down the line in a few weeks. So uh, make sure you get your emails in, and we will try to answer as many of them as possible. But- well, similar to the transfer rule. Um, has to be this whole medical redshirt and the timeline it takes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have been following what's going on with Drew Ott, but um, he messed up his elbow and played limited effectiveness for a couple games, and then he tore his ACL. Mm-hmm. But he was just over the threshold of getting the redshirt. But they filed his pa- Iowa filed his paperwork with the Big Ten. The Big Ten reviews all the NCAA binders and I don't know if the Big Ten takes that long or that's how confusing the rules are but whatever it was within the last few weeks the NCAA finally got his paperwork and now they decide on it. The problem is he can't hire an agent so if he doesn't get an extra year he's screwed for his professional career and so they sort of need to figure it out and have this be way more streamlined. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you there. Yeah. It just, it almost seems like they're just deliberately slow with everything. It, it it's really quite irritating when, when you're, when you need a big decision, you know, just kind of the way they help, they, they hold up 
mount and yeah, I guess in mounds of red tape uh, when players are, you know, when players are eligibility come into question, they they take a really long time trying to figure it out. When some of them are very cut and dry, and they can just say, "Hey, you know, this is the case. This is the case." You know, I mean, this is a, this is his, this is a kid's livelihood. I know, and then and they're and they're dragging their feet, and going to be uh, potentially a supplemental supplemental draft kid if he can't come back for another year, and and you know maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't. Who knows? Yeah, it, it, you know, it is a frustrating and slow process, and it shouldn't. It shouldn't take this long. This is the kind of thing that I assume. Do you know the date that they filed his paperwork, Josh? As far as I know, they knew that they were submitting the paperwork. All year long. As soon as he tore his ACL, they're like, all right, we got to file the paperwork. And no, what I know, oh, go ahead. Well, so let's assume that they can file the paperwork after the end of the season. So, um, you know, so after the national championship game, you know, take it, you know, that the, the week after the national championship game. So they file it, file it, you know, early to mid January. I don't know why this should take more than a month. Well, it goes to the Big Ten. See, that's the confusing thing: is why why can't Iowa just submit the paperwork to the NCAA? Uh, that's a you know that's a very good question. Um, one that um, we're going to have to get a lawyer in to answer that yeah. one. So, um, but all right. Well, we need to be moving on to some of our bigger topics of the day. So um, we're going to have a little fun with mascots at the end of the show. Um, but first, we have two other things that we want to discuss. Uh, the first of these is Ohio State's new coaching position. Um, they have created um, uh, the Ohio State football team now has um, a new position um, for. Uh, their, uh, on their coaching staff, and it is basically a director of social media. It's called uh, Director of New and Creative Media. Basically, the person will oversee digital communications for the school's football recruiting department um, uh, using Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Snapchat etc., and uh, so, Coach, is this the you know is is this going to be a way that um, you know you think all teams are going to go? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's always a need for somebody managing the social media of not only the football program itself and what it what it tweets out, but managing all the social media accounts of the players and making sure that they're on top of their game because you know, you're you can see some crazy stuff being tweeted out and some and and with the way the world is going, it's, you know, Twitter's a news feed now. Uh, Snapchat is something that's newsworthy. You know, you can get in a lot of trouble on social media. And so now they need somebody to make sure that the players stay out of trouble. So Ohio State is on the forefront of that. Um, and they need somebody that's very savvy with social media to be able to come in and, and, and help players with social media strategy, help them become more marketable on social media and help them stay out of trouble as well. And so, you know, you, you, you would think common sense would take over and, and, you know, all of that stuff. But So, Coach, do you foresee this being a position where they are, you know, where, where this person is sort of managing the social media accounts of all the players? Because that seems uh, undo, you know, not, you know, not able to do. Is this something that you, know, think, you think that all the players have to go through this guy whenever they want to tweet something? No, I, I think it's going to be more of an advisory role. I think it's going to be somebody that just keeps an eye on it. Um, this person's mostly going to be managing the football program's Twitter account, like you see University of Wisconsin football and what they tweet out. And then they'll, they'll kind of help the coaches tweet out stuff. Uh, they'll probably tweet out recruiting blasts. They'll probably Snapchat, Periscope, Instagram, all kind of stuff, mm-hmm. official visits, game days, and, yeah. you know, Actually, all the stuff on. that needs to be sent out via social media, they will handle all of that to take it off the plates of, of the coaches. So, you know, it, it's more somebody that's just going to keep an eye on the players, um, but they're really just going to handle all the social media exposure that the that the football program is going to get. Josh? I mean, I, it makes sense to have it, but it just goes to show how dumb all of us can be. The social media, I'm not saying this is an age thing for the, the college kids. I mean, we all do it, too. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and 
I think a good guideline that I have tried to use is, uh, since I'm Facebook friends with my grandma, is, is it all right if she sees it? <laughs> and if it's all right for her consumption, then it's good to go. That's why those of you who have seen my Facebook feed, it's gotten a lot more uh, cleaned up language. Over yeah, a little, last... a little more PC these days. Yeah, Maybe it's maybe it's me getting up there in age and the more mature me, but uh, no, I think this is I think this is the way of the future, and uh, it's not just football or anything. You see this at every industry; they they all have social media managers and things like that. And football, college football, it's a sport, but it's also a money making industry. So goodbye, Ohio State, to be ahead of the curve, but I guarantee every school will have it within a couple yeah. of years. And it's something that also the recruiting assistants are are looking at, and it'll kind of tie into that, and it'll kind of, you know, it'll mostly funnel probably through the social media person, but into the recruiting staff, uh, you know, they're looking at recruits' Twitters, and they scrutinize every single little tweet. And I know that for a fact. I've seen, I've seen hundreds of kids lose offers because – of what they tweet or what they retweet or what they even favorite on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I've seen it happen. I've seen a, I've seen a kid go off on a, on a rampage on Facebook and, and lose an offer. You know, yeah, ask Kurt Rambis about that, about favoriting something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kurt Rambis guy's a legend. I um, do think it's funny that it's Ohio state. Cause um, they, they've been burned a little bit by Twitter and some stuff. I remember Cardell Jones had the infamous tweet about, like, we I'm, here to, here to I'm here to play football, not go to school. Yeah, but but I think he was like, I ain't here to play school, which I yeah. love. That's a good way to put it. Absolutely. So Urban, Urban's probably like, all right, guys, we need a social media person so Cardell can stop tweeting. <laughs> well, Car- Cardale's gone now, so they don't got they don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, but I'm sure. Well, I, the, the, uh, Antonio Williams, their incoming running back this year, he uh, basically uh, he uh, it was, was committed to Wisconsin for a long time, and he said uh, he was criticizing Joel Stave during one of the games, as many Badger fans are wont to do. But he started doing it, and Wisconsin basically said, "Yeah, thanks, but no thanks." After that, so. Oh, yeah. You know, this guy's number four running back in the country, but you know, you know, he's he's calling out, you know, a fifth year senior team captain kind of like that, and they're like, thanks, but no thanks. So I thought that was I thought yeah, that, was- that seems a little stupid in my opinion. I mean I, I'm not gonna you know, I, I'm not gonna go here nor there on that, but it's you know, it, it did happen. So um, you know, I'll That's how it is. It's if, how it is. If Iowa kicked me out every time I started criticizing something about their teams, I would not make it past the first quarter of any sporting event. I was not putting you on scholarship. <laughs> hey, maybe they should have. Maybe they should have is right. But um, I, I, I don't know. If, if, they, uh, if your on-field ability mimicked that of your NCAA football on PS3 ability, <laughs> then you would have been, uh, I mean, they'd be renaming Kinnick Stadium to Kinnick Cook Stadium. <laughs> Cook Field at Kinnick Stadium. It's got a ring to it. Oh, I like that, actually. That, 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 that's not half bad. You should uh, tell your dad he needs to uh, give them more money. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I'm sure I'll get all over that. Yeah, sure. Way to go, Brian. Um, <laughs> anyhow, okay, well, um, uh, other, other news across uh, the college football landscape. Uh, Illinois uh, got a new athletic director um, last Friday, and the first thing he did was fire Bill Cubitt. Um, Yay. Now, early March is a very strange time to both fire a coach and to try to find a new coach because pretty much all of the coaching movement, all the carousel that we talked about for so long had stopped. Everyone's in a new, in a new spot. So what do they do? They go and get Lovey Smith. And Lovey Smith, um, for those of you who have been living under a rock, is the former uh, longtime Bears and short-term Buccaneers coach um, who um, – has not actually coached at uh, you know coached in at the uh, college level for about ten years. Um, he was first at Tulsa, then at Wisconsin for a year. Actually, Arizona State, Kentucky, Tennessee, then Ohio 20. State. What's that? Twenty years. <laughs> Twenty years. No. Well, you know, he was at, he spent a decade in college. But uh, he hasn't been in college for twenty years. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, I misheard you. 
So, um, but again, it's been 21 years since he <laughs> was uh, on a college campus uh, in, you know, as a coach. And so I'm curious to, to see, you know, what you guys think about this hire. You know, a lot of people said, oh, this is a really good hire. But my question is, how many connections does this guy have at this point? So, um, Josh, I'll throw that to you first. Well, I guess I'm going to break it down in a couple ways because you brought up the weirdness of firing a coach in March. Uh, it had to be done. The worst case scenario was Bill Cubitt somehow goes seven or eight wins next year, and then they're stuck with them. The old Bill Stewart at West Virginia, like the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. So I- I'm totally fine with Illinois doing that. And I like the Lovey Smith hire. I know the connections are a question, and I know recruiting is a question. But let's be honest, Illinois hasn't been winning very many recruiting battles for a while now. Illinois really doesn't have recruiting ties. Like, like they're not bringing in a bunch of Florida and Texas and California kids. Their problem is straight up X's and O's for the short time, where they're just so deficient in just purely playing the game. And Lovey Smith is a brilliant, brilliant defensive mind. Those Bears teams he had were scary as hell, went to a Super Bowl with Rex Grossman, of all people, Sexy Rexy. So, Gross Rex, man. Yeah, so I think fundamental X's and O's, especially on the defensive side of things, Illinois is going to be a lot better. And when I was looking at their roster to preview – their season uh, last summer, I was floored by the amount of talent they have defensively. And when you're a struggling program, having a good defense keeps you in the game and it lets you steal a few victories here and there. So I'm not saying that Illinois is like on the quick track to winning a conference or being in competition for a national title. And Maybe he'll take an NFL job in the next four or five years if one comes his way. But I think in terms of stabilizing things and getting the most out of a questionable roster, they couldn't have done much better than Lovey Smith. No. Yeah. You know what? I I love it. I mean, you know, new AD comes in. You know, he don't want to be stuck with the incumbent guy that really wasn't that great to begin with. Uh, The players loved him. They played hard. Um, They did – a lot better than they should have, um, but so did Bill Stewart, and so did a lot of people. That doesn't really speak long-term. And if you're going to take a chance on somebody, why waste a season and why waste some recruiting time by having a guy that you don't want? You go six and six, you know, four, you know, four and seven or four and eight, five and seven, or whatever the record may be, you know, let's just say it's mediocre and he ends up firing him and you're, you're right back in square one. Illinois is not in a, in a position where they're going to hire, where they're going to lure Nick Saban away from Alabama. They're not, they're not getting big name coaches at Illinois. This is the way that you put your program back on the map so that you can lure those type of guys away. And, uh, you know, I think they did a tremendous job. Uh, they got lucky because I think Lovey Smith is, I, I, I think I think very highly of him as a coach. I think in the NFL, you know, after you surpass about ten years, your your message gets a little bit um, old, and players don't respond to you as much in the tenth year. And that's just kind of the nature of of that league. I mean, you're you're never anywhere more than five years, you know, if unless yeah, you're an outlier, like you know, unless you're an outlier, Belichick's the only guy, you know, yeah, who, unless you're Belichick or or. Mike Tomlin or somebody like that who um, they find different ways and, and those guys are just on a different level of genius uh, at finding different ways to uh, to get their message across in a, in a new and different way. But, you know, I think Lovey Smith, uh, his departure at Tampa Bay was head-scratching. They were they were on the rise. Uh, they had a they had Jameis Winston as a rookie who, who was vastly improving as the season went on. I, I think it was more of a political firing, but uh, as far as connections, I don't think I'd be too worried about it. I think they hired the right guy as far as connections in that state and in that region because of what he did with the Bears. I mean, if I'm a high school coach in Illinois, 
I'm looking at the Illini very closely now, and I'm I'm starting to take them seriously more more seriously than when they had uh, all the other guys. Yeah, Long I mean, it, uh, Illinois top prep talent in Illinois recently. Um, Michigan State has owned uh, Illinois recently. Yeah, uh, Michigan State and Iowa actually. Wisconsin always gets a couple guys. Ohio State will grab a couple guys. Michigan. Yeah couple guys but it's michigan state and iowa who have really reaped the benefits on the recruiting trail at least of uh of the of the illini being down for so long now Uh, so now now you build that in-state rivalry because northwestern's on the rise again they're they're starting to become where they're i mean i'm not saying they're national championship contenders by any stretch but but they're competitive uh and illinois is going to be the same way and you know i don't know I would like to see that state get to a point where Northwestern and Illinois can, can start to get some state start to improve. Cause I think the overall quality of the big 10 will, will improve if Northwestern and Illinois are good. Um, but what Lovey Smith has going for him is that he inherits a defensive unit that ranked 30th nationally. Um, and, uh, and I guess that's in total defense. And then, uh, offensively though, 88th in the country, uh, Got some work to do, but um, I don't know. I mean, if you can if you can have a great defense, I think that's a good place to start. And I think that that be a, you know, I think he can improve those numbers or at least keep it at bay. I'm not saying he's gonna. I'm not saying he's gonna be in in contention for the Big Ten championship by any stretch this year. But I think if if uh, if you're gonna take a chance at hiring a guy like Lovey Smith, do it now. Pressure's off. You know, they just, you know, if that's your very first move as AD, I think you're, I think you're ahead of the, ahead of the game there. And, you know, I, I applaud Illinois for, for making the move. I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely, you know, it's definitely a bold move. It's definitely a bold move and something that was, you know, will definitely turn some heads. So, um, you know, new AD going big, go big, go big or go home. So, oh, yeah. all right. Well, um, we're nearing the end of the podcast here, but something, uh, you know, something that all three of us are very, very passionate about within the world of college football is mascots. Um, mm, we mascot. all, we all have a, we all have a, a strangely profound, uh, uh, intense feeling for, uh, for some mascots. And so, um, one thing we're going to try out tonight is a little, little bit of mascot ranking. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to go through the Big 12 Conference, and uh, uh, we're going to go worst to first um, uh, around, around, around the table. So, uh, Josh, I guess I'm going to kick it off with you. What is the worst mascot in the Big 12? Well, we got to clarify one quick thing, my friend. Okay. Set so some ground keep, rules for us. You keep saying mascot. Now, are we talking mascot the big goofy thing with a huge head, like the Western Kentucky furball, or are we talking nickname? Because if we if we do mascots, not every school has a mascot. We are okay. So for for the purposes of tonight's discussion, we are talking yeah. nickname. There we go. All right. All right. I mean, we don't want to have to omit Michigan when we do the Big Ten because they famously don't have a furry creature running around with a big head. I think they um, should, though, quite frankly. That, 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 that's a different story for a different time. We're sticking in the Big 12. Yeah. So, All right. Well, well, what's the worst nickname in the Big 12? One of my big pet peeves is just slapping a color in, some, in front of something and making it be like, oh, that's an original nickname. So, by the way, Texas Tech, dead last with the vomit-inducing Red Raiders. Oh. Coach? I'm gonna go Kansas State. Um, just very generic Wildcats. I don't. Yeah, I'm with you there, Coach. I hate generic nicknames, and there's nothing more generic than Wildcats and Bulldogs. So if you have a Wildcat, Bulldog, or Tiger <laughs> as your as your uh, mascot, you can forget it. So yeah, Co- Coach and I are are down there with K State at number ten. Josh, where's your nine? Well, you guys introduced them so well. My number nine is Kansas State, Coach. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go uh, – I'm going to go Baylor. I'm going to go Bears. That's still pretty generic. Um, but if you if you put them up against um, the, the other nicknames in the conference, it's too generic. So I'm going to go with the uh, Baylor Bears. 
Red Raiders for me are uh, our number nine. Josh, I agree with you with the, the color plus uh, generic mascot does not equal original mascot. So, yeah, yeah it's, uh, you, know, you know, oh, it's fun. Red Raiders, Blue Devils. No, just, you know, come up with something new, please. So, number eight, Joshua? I'm not a big fan of the Mountaineers. Uh, it's yeah. just... This will be yes. our first point of contention on... Uh, yeah. What about the Mountaineers? I, I just don't like it. I, just, I mean, I think there's some cooler things to do with... Appalachia than just having a uh, drunk guy with a rifle and a coonskin cap and a big old beard. Yeah. Oh, now, now, now you're starting to go into uh, mascots themselves. Yeah. Um, I think part of that is maybe uh, maybe perjuring the jury a little bit is to have such a dumb, goofy looking. Uh, guy as their mascot connected to their name but if we're talking just, just about the name though I, mountaineers is unique and it is a testament yeah. to you know to that part of the country to appalachia eh, appalachian state has it too i don't know okay okay well we can uh, we can agree yeah. to disagree there coach uh what you got a date here's where the red raiders sit i i think <laughs> it's i think it's creative enough not to be dead last but it's you know, I think it's bottom three here. Um, Red Raiders, you know, if it was just Raiders alone, it would still be largely unoriginal. And then you slap the color in it to try to make it original. It just doesn't do a whole lot. All right. Well, I've got, I, I've got the Cowboys of Oklahoma State. Um, love Mike Gundy. Love that team. For some reason, I've always had a weird affinity toward the program. Hate, you know, hate the nickname. Cowboys, very generic. Um, you know, d- d- doesn't really move the needle for me. So, Josh, number uh, number six. No, sorry, number seven. Baylor Bears. Yeah, just a little too generic. Um, they're trying to spice it up. They do some cool things with their crowd, like the Sikkim chant that are kind of tangential to the Bears thing. But, uh, yeah, like Coach said, it's a little generic. Coach, your seven? My seven is the Cowboys. Uh, Oklahoma State Cowboys. Again, love everything about the program. T. Boone Pickens has done a tremendous job at – building not only the football program or the athletic <laughs> facilities, but the entire the university has done a good job building the program. T Boone Pickens has done a good job building, the, building that program. Exactly. T Boone Pickens, T Boone Pickens built the university. I mean, he is everything to that school. Oh yeah, so. absolutely. Uh, well, at number seven for me is the Baylor bears. We've talked about it, you know, relatively generic. I agree with you, Josh, you know, there's some interesting stuff going on there with the sick, um, but you know, Bears, you know, uh, you know, call me when you got something original. All right, Josh, uh, number six. Oklahoma State Cowboys, uh, generic, yes, but at least it fits their state. Um, you know, it works well for them, albeit generic. Coach, uh, unfortunately, I, I love this nickname, but compared to um, the other nicknames in the conference, I'm gonna have to go with the Texas Longhorns here. Um, it fits perfectly for their state if it's perfectly for hand signals in the crowd um the the colors with the burn orange it looks you know everything about it's pretty awesome but you know I, I think that you know as you as you climb the conference ladder with nicknames i think they're in some tough competition so to be number six in this list is not a bad thing all right. Well, uh, for me, uh, this isn't necessarily a bad nickname, but it is geographically inappropriate. You know where I'm going. Iowa State Cyclones. Now, Josh, you are the uh, uh, you are apparently the bard of Iowa. So, oh, yeah. Do you know why they are, in fact, the Cyclones? Um, I believe it dates back to them playing a game and a newspaper writer said that they played like a bunch of cyclones mm. or something like that. Um, don't quote me on it. I'll double check the old interwebs right now. According, to, about- according to Wikipedia, the name dates back to 1895 where Iowa suffered an unusually high number of devastating cyclones, which is what tornadoes were called at that time. Oh, so, um, and a day after um, uh, uh, Iowa State, at that point called Iowa Agricultural College, um, 
lost uh, or sorry, one beat Northwestern 36 to nothing. The Chicago Tribune's headline read struck by a cyclone. It comes from Iowa and dev- devastates Evanston town. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I was kind of close. So, you know, it, it, had they changed it to the tornadoes? I don't know. I, I think tornadoes doesn't roll off the tip of the tongue like a, like a nickname should, but you know, it's still, for me, it's, it's geographically inappropriate. Yeah. All right, now moving to the top half of the bracket at number five, Josh. I got the Longhorns. Uh, ditto a lot of what Coach said, but he left out one thing. No matter how cool Bulls, Longhorns, Bison, Buffalo, like whatever it is, at the end of the day, you're just like a big, slow creature. And in Texas's case, they're a big, slow cow. Big, slow, powerful creature. Yeah, yeah cow. They're, it's, it's still a cow. It's I mean, just, like, let's be honest. I would have better use of Bevo with a filet mignon than having it sit at a football game and crap on the field. Well, they, they did They did everything they could to make it sound as cool as possible. And they said longhorns. <laughs> it's true. But uh, I, I know that uh, Josh, not, not from personal history, but I know some friends of the show uh, went <laughs> to um, a, a game in Austin. And uh, what was it they said about the scent of the, of the stadium, Josh? Well, these were some uh, some city folk, to say the least. Uh, they they were friends. They were friends of my brothers who went to the University of Michigan. They were all from the Detroit area, so they weren't used to uh, the smell of fertilizer. They they thought it smelled like a fair. Thought it smelled like crap. They hated it. They really didn't see the point of having a pooping machine on the sideline for four hours. Now, Josh, you did rank the Longhorns higher than I did, so. Uh, I know. Well, I bumped everything up a little bit because I'm odd and don't really like the name Mountaineers. All right, Coach, who's your five? My five is the Jayhawks. Um, again, uh, a very good nickname. Uh, had, had trouble placing them. Um, could have very well switched spots with my number four team. Um, could have very well, you know, moved up and I could have very well reordered my top five here, but the Jayhawks just kind of fit in uh, their logo. They're, I need to update their logo and it would probably improve their nickname a little bit. It would probably improve the connotation of their nickname. Uh, nickname in general, Jayhawks is, is pretty cool, but I think if they update their logo a little bit, I think it, I think it becomes a little bit better. All right. Well, I also have the Longhorns at number five and, you know, uh, Everything has been said about the Longhorns. So, Josh, we'll move to your number four. Yeah, number four for me is Iowa State. The geographic thing kept it out of the top three. And another thing that, obviously, they weren't thinking about this in the 1890s, but when your your nickname can be turned around and used as an insult, that's never a good thing. And with Iowa State's uh, history of pretty bad football, a lot of people like to call them the Cyclowns or shortened to Clowns. Things like that. That's never good when your nickname can be turned around against you. <laughs> very true. Very true. Coach? Uh, number four, Mountaineers. Um, you know, Josh and I completely disagree on this one, but Mountaineers, I think, is is uh, very, very, very culturally appropriate for West Virginia. Um, and uh, I don't know. That's really – that's really just it. It's it's kind of a cool, unique uniqueness of it is is kind of cool. But yeah, you know, I, I like the Mountaineers. Yeah, Coach, I, I'm with you there. I also have the Mountaineers at number four. Um, I, I already said my piece on the Mountaineers when Josh r- ridiculously put them at number nine. Hey. Um, <laughs> Foreshadowing, I don't have Appalachian State very high ranked either. Oh, all right. Well, then, Josh, who is your number three? My number three is the Kansas Jayhawks. I am a history nerd, and the Jayhawks has a lot of history to Kansas. So a Jayhawker is the f- soldiers that fought during bleeding Kansas to make Kansas a free state. Obviously, that's kind of a divisive issue. Obviously, there were some war crimes with guerrilla warfare and all that. So it's got a little bit of a negative connotation in some parts. But to Kansas, it's a very important part of their history. And when there are nicknames so tied and so unique to the state that I love those, and those naturally rise to the cream of the top. 
that three rises to that for me. Oh, it's the cream of the crop. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Number three, um, because I don't know a whole lot about the area. They probably, if I'd have, if I'd have known a little bit more about that, because um, uh, I'm obviously not going to research the Iowa State Cyclones uh, too in-depth, but um, I just like the nickname here. They fall into number three category. Um, I, I thought it was I thought it was uh, extremely relevant weather-wise and uh, sounded better than the tornadoes. <laughs> so um, the color scheme is is pretty cool. They're they're kind of like the Midwestern USC with their uniforms, but um, you know their only downfall is again what Josh said that uh, different ways you could bastardize their name um, and make fun of them. So uh, that would probably knock them down a few points, but. I don't know. I kind of like their logo, and uh, it's very unique. It's a very unique name, so I'm going to stick with that. That's why they're in my top three. All right, yeah, my number three is the Oklahoma Sooners. Um, you know, f- for me, the, the top three are almost interchangeable, but the Sooners, obviously, is, as uh, you know, most people know, um, uh, the, the team are called the Sooners because of the land rush of 1889. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, Boomer Sooner, uh, the wagon, you know, obviously we're not talking mascots themselves, but um, I just, I, I think it's really cool. It's obviously like West Virginia, very culturally and locally significant to the university and it's, you know, and it's original. Um, so I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a pretty cool, pretty cool nickname. So, all right, Josh, uh, we got it too. Uh, ditto everything you said. That's why I've got Oklahoma too. And what's cool is you mentioned the land rush, but obviously the Sooners were the people who snuck in early. They got there sooner. That's where it came from. So it's pretty cool. And funny. Oh, yeah. Very funny. Uh, number two, the uh, Boomer Sooner, uh, Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, love the historical reference. Um, love the fact that it's people who uh, cheated the system a little bit and got there sooner than everybody else. Uh, I know we're not talking about actual mascots, but I, I, I love the uh, the Boomer Schooner that, that runs out on the field before the games. I love the logo on the helmets, the crimson and cream. Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 that's my number two team there. I really, uh, I really like them. And, uh, if it weren't, you know, and they were my favorite, uh, mascot or nickname coming in before, uh, my number one team joined the conference. So, um, Boomer Sooner comes in at number two. Well, um, obviously then, uh, you know, you two have the same number one team and that is my number two, which is the TCU Horn Frogs. Um, the Horn Frogs is such a, I mean, unique, obviously one of my big pet peeves when, when people say something is very unique, uh, unique is a binary and this is a, definitely a unique, uh, is definitely a unique nickname. Um, obviously it refer actually, uh, weirdly enough, the Horn Frog itself is not a frog. It is actually a lizard. Um, but, uh, uh, I don't know. I'll let you guys sort of take over here on the Horn Frog, Josh. Well, I mean, there are thousands upon thousands of cool animals that you can have your team named after. And, you know, you think of the school like Cincinnati, which did the Bearcats, and that's a cool animal, but it lives in Asia. Here, TCU has a truly cool, unique animal. No one else named their team after it. And it's right in their backyard. It it lives in the southwest. It lives in the desert. It they live in Texas. So it it's unique. It's geographically relevant. And any school that ever tries to have the nickname are just going to look like idiots. It's TCU. It's Horn Frogs. They're interchangeable. When I say Horn Frogs, everyone thinks of TCU. When someone says TCU, everyone thinks of Horn Frogs. Yep, absolutely. I mean, it can't be any more relevant and unique than, than that, you know, you have a, you have a really cool looking creature in your back, in your backyard and, and you, you pick it up as your name and it just happens to be the horn, the horn frog. And they got a cool hand logo. They do. They, they throw the, they throw the deuces, but they throw the deuce knuckles. up. Oh, I think that's kind of cool. Um, their color scheme, they've done a good job fix fitting in their color scheme. Um, and it was cool enough for LaDainian Tomlinson to choose them. So, 
Uh, can't be that bad. <laughs> well, obviously, by positive elimination, my number one is the Jayhawks for all the reasons that Josh stated. Uh, the history, the importance of uh, the Jayhawkers. And that's, again, a unique nickname that is geographically and culturally specific and important to the region. So on aggregate, um, worst of first, uh, from the three of us, Wildcats, Red Raiders, Bears, Cowboys, Longhorns, Mountaineers, Cyclones, Jayhawks, Sooners, and Horn Frogs. Yeah. Yes. Oh, all right. All right. Well, that's about that's going to wrap stuff up for us tonight. So, uh, uh, parting shots from you guys. Well, yeah, when I think of a Mountaineer, I think of someone in like a North North Face jacket in Colorado, not a country bumpkin making moonshine. If they were the West Virginia Moonshiners, they'd be number one. Oh, yeah. I, I think I think a moonshine is more of a Kentucky thing, but I guess it is an Appalachia in general. Yeah, it, it could be any state along the Appalachian Trail. Um, my parting shot is um, the uh, the greatest nickname in Texas is uh, not even playing FBS football, and that's the Stephen F. Austin Lumberjacks. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to throw them as an honorable mention. Um, they're in Big Twelve country, yet they're not they're not obviously in the Big Twelve. Um, and we probably won't ever get to FCS, so I got to throw them out there. All right. Well, uh, that is going to wrap us up for the evening. So, on behalf of Josh Cook in Chicago, Illinois, and beha- on behalf of the coach, Corey Burton in Nashville, Tennessee, this is Matt Perkins from Los Angeles saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Oh, yeah, we're the cream of the crop. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.